Hi, I'm Bob Switzer, and this is the Epic Narrative. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. All right. Yeah, so uh, when last we left, the story of David... He was uh, on the run. He was alone in some kind of um, – emotionally, he had to be in such a whirlwind, right? A whirlwind of emotion. He 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 was in, in relative safety with Samuel. He goes to Jonathan. He gets some answers, uh, which he didn't necessarily like, which was, yes, my father is actually really bent on killing you. You need to run. And he runs, and he doesn't run to the relative safety of Samuel. He runs uh, to the Philistines, probably in a, in a state of, um, I don't want to say confusion. I just think, I, I think uh, he's like a lot of us in this moment. Uh, when you're under pressure and things are really negative and you're not, uh, you're you're alone like you're not he did he didn't he didn't look for advice he didn't look for wisdom he came up with a plan and his plan i believe i really believe his plan was i'm going to negotiate exile in the philistine country i'm going to talk to the to the king i'm going to exchange uh goliath's sword i'm going to come to a place where i can at least figure life out and keep everyone i love safe well, well, you know, uh, that, that didn't go so well. <laughs> and that was the last podcast. He just, he just, it didn't go well. So now he, um, he, he runs out of the city and he knows in his mind, I need a place to go. And, and where he goes, he goes to the cave of a, of a Dullam. Now this, this was a, uh, you know, this is not a secret place. The caves of Adullam are well known in in the region, in the both countries. Both the Philistines and Israelites would have known about this. It was it was a huge network of caves. It was it was not um, not hard to find. It wasn't a yeah. It wasn't a secret place. So in his mind, uh, he comes out of the city. He still doesn't think to himself, "I can go back." To Samuel, I can uh, I can find you know somewhere to live. I can you know reach out to a few of my contacts in the military. I can reach out to a few of the villages that I've protected. I I don't know why he felt this alone. I'm not sure why he he he. I, I'm not sure why. I, be, and the reason why I'm not sure why is because my mind goes to like a lot of options. Because a lot of times we choose the same sort of uh, isolation when we're struggling. We we think we think we're alone, or we think to explain what's happened to to me would just take too long. Nobody wants to really listen to me. Uh, sometimes when you're in charge of things, like David had been, you realize there's not a lot of you don't have a lot of friends. And this is true. This is true of everyone I've ever met in leadership. 
and including myself, they, they say, you know, you're, you're close friends. You just don't have a lot of them. And, and I believe David had come to that place as well. His closest friend was Jonathan. He couldn't go back to Jonathan. Again, I'm not sure why he didn't want to go back to Samuel, other than at some level he was thinking he was you know, going to protect Samuel. He definitely didn't think I could go back to my family and that village and they would protect me because as a tribe and as uh, you know, within a tribal mentality that would be uh, prevalent in this culture, and it still is in the Middle East, there's still a very strong family tribal mentality in the way that even in the way that they do national politics uh, currently. There's just that he in concept. He could have went back to that village. He could have went back to his home home village and, and said, I need your protection, family. And even if they didn't like him, they would have they would have had a sense of moral obligation to protect their brother. He, he didn't that he, the family, I believe the family had fallen apart to the point where he didn't even feel safe doing that. He just went alone. And maybe, maybe he went alone to these caves because he just wanted time to think, which is one of those odd things, right? He just spent three days alone hiding uh, in the in the rocks and bushes in the field waiting for Jonathan to come back with information. So why does he need more time alone? Well, now he has the information. When he was waiting in the, in the field, he had uh, hope. And, and um, that's the odd thing. You know, I think in, these, in this moment, I see David in a position where he's without hope. He just can't find it. He can't find the presence of God. He can't find the wisdom, the creative wisdom that he normally has. He just thinks, um, I'm out. I'm out. I, I'm out. And he goes alone. I, I need time to think. I need a place to think. I need opportunity to put things together. I'm not sure what I'm going to do. I'm not sure why I'm even here. I'm not sure how I got here. I mean, he knew practically how he got there, but it just, he, it, he had to feel a thousand miles away from people at times. So he walks again. I don't think he walked on the main roads. I don't think he wanted people to kind of know where he was, but he walked. I mean, he's, he's in the, he's in a foreign land. He's with his enemies. So he walks off to uh, escape into the caves. Now, when he arrives at the caves, what does that look like? Well, I don't think he was the only one there. And these these caves, like I said, is a huge network of caves. I have a feeling there's probably a few nomads hanging out. Maybe a few, uh, maybe a few uh, tradesmen stopping by. Maybe uh, you know, I I just it's it's a it's a huge network and and people displaced people would have been hanging out there maybe not by the not by the hundreds but there would have been a few other people around i'm sure david you know walked in and when when you walk into an environment like this it, everybody knows you're there to be alone especially if you walk in alone david has no resources he didn't show up with a backpack and a and a sleeping bag he has a big sword on his back and that's it and i'm sure that looked intimidating david's a good looking dude he's he's well built he walks in. Um, he doesn't make a lot of eye contact. People aren't staring at him. They don't want to know. 
he walks, uh, you know, through some caves. He kind of finds a one in which he can kind of be alone, one that can kind of be his. And he sets up camp, whatever that looks like when you're literally, you know, without anything. Spreads out his tunic. Uh, I, I guess technically he probably wasn't without anything because he had just spent three days in the in the field. So he probably had uh, things that would be bare necessities for shepherds. He probably had a heavy tunic, uh, you know, a belt, and uh, his ability to make uh, pillows out of rocks, which evidently is something uh, they can do out there, and it's not that uncomfortable. So he makes camp in one of the caves, and he tries to put his life in perspective again. He tries to figure things out. He also knows that when he's in a cave, you know, it's, he's looking. he knows people are after him. So he would have looked for a position within this network that would have been easy to defend and easy to disappear. Backdoors, so to you know, I know, I know, I know, caves don't have backdoors. So you know, the ability to run into the caves, into the network of of caves, and come out the other side. And he had to wonder. He had to wonder uh, periodically, like where, where's where's God in all this? He had to wonder to himself, why did I leave? Why did I leave Samuel? Clearly God was protecting me there. Why did I choose, you know, uh, fear? I, I ran out of fear. I was afraid of Saul. I mean, this is a guy who didn't fear Goliath. He was like, I don't care if Goliath kills me. I'm going to defend the, the name of the Lord. I'm going to defend the nation of God. Well, what, 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 how, how did fear get into his mind? How did fear get into his plans? How did isolation and, and, and uh, a lack of hope become part of his life? I'm sure he's, he's questioning a lot of things right now. When he was at home, <clears throat> before he ended up in the palace, the idea of being the next king of Israel was, was you know, this idealist. I'm sure he had an idealistic expectation that someday God would work this all out. And man, did it did it not look like God had worked it all out? Uh, several times God had worked it out, right? He was he was in the cabinet, he was in government, he was overseeing a a very uh, prideful, not prideful, sorry, a very important uh, part of the government. And if if you weren't in a position of uh, if you weren't in a position of trust. Then, then you weren't in charge of the military. So he had a very prominent place. I'm sure in his mind, when he's in that place, it was pretty easy to see how he could become the next king of Israel. Something was going to happen. I don't think David in any, at any time wanted to force the plan of God. I, I don't. I think he trusted God's shepherding. I think, you know, uh, I think that was core to his life, that God could work this out, that the pathway to the to the throne was going to be worked out by a much, much, you know, powerful, a much bigger shepherd than he ever was. There was no plan that he could put together that was going to be better than the plan of God. But I'm sure while he's standing there, he could see it. He could see it literally many times. He could see the throne. He could see where he was going to be. And now he's in a cave in, in enemy territory, hanging out, you know, with a, 
couple dozen nomads who weren't necessarily going to stay long. They were just at the caves because of their protection, and they had nowhere to be for a little while. Migrant workers, maybe. I don't know. So there he is. He's at the cave. And then then this, this really... Uh, <laughs> Interesting, you know, hanging out time. Uh, it's it, we, we get this phrase, when his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down him, to him there. No, wait, wait, wait. What, what do you mean they heard? What did they hear about? Well, you know, it's not like it was on the news. It's not like they picked it up, you know, someone gave him a call. But, but. Word spread as word does. So it spreads through what? Through those in, in the trade business. It spread through the shepherd network. The servant network moved quickly. And and as it moved and as it went through, eventually it gets to the, you know, it gets to the village uh, of, you know, of his family. And there the information spread. Saul wants to kill David. Saul has, uh, you know, uh, doubled down, so to speak. Saul attempted to kill his son, Jonathan, because Jonathan helped David. Now, you know, and then, and then, of course, then David went on the run. Rumor has it he went to the city of Gath. Rumor has it he went to the Philistines. He went to the enemy for protection. He's a traitor. He was accused of treason, and now he went to the enemy. Do you understand? Like, like for people who weren't a big fan of David, this this is pure evidence that David was was always looking to destroy Saul. That David was was wanting to take the 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 throne by force, and Saul caught him, and it was proof that David wanted this wanted to destroy Saul because the first place he went was the city of Gath. He went to his enemy to try and negotiate peace, but turns out that the enemy, you know, betrayed David and wouldn't let him in and didn't give him a place of exile. And now David's alone. David's alone. Most people think he probably went to the caves of Adullam. He's probably hanging out there. Yeah, I mean, you you could put together a conspiracy theory about David wanting to take over the throne easily by looking at the evidence of of this. You could also look at it and say, you know, the opposite. You could also say, you know, Saul was out to kill David. Saul had nowhere else to go. Or David, you know, so David had nowhere else to go. Um, uh, he didn't go back to Samuel. Um, because Saul would have destroyed Samuel and and destroyed the the prophet's school that was there. I mean, all all of that was true as well. It all depends on your perspective. So I've, I I have no idea what stories hit the family. But when they found out that that David was on, uh, you know, that there was a death warrant out for David and that Saul was serious about killing him, they knew that their lives were were going to be shifted because. Because when you were after one person in the family, you had to go after the whole family. Going back to that that concept, that tribal concept, you didn't just kill one member of the family. You had to kill them all because everyone took offense if you took out a member of the family. Now, we I do know and, and made it quite clear through a number of podcasts that David wasn't considered necessarily a son of, of Jesse, even at this time. Jesse just... 
had a tough time in his own prideful way of admitting that he had lied to everybody for years about who who David was, that he had accused his wife of of adultery, that David was not his boy. So so Jesse had his own issues in all of this, but Jesse also knew that Saul didn't care. Saul saw him as as a, a David as a son of Jesse, and his family would be in jeopardy. So so they had to wait. And the fact that the that the brothers and his father's household heard about it and they went down to him, for me indicates the type of of um, fearful atmosphere that Saul had enacted. He put a death warrant out on David, but he also started, when David disappeared, when he found out Jonathan had helped him, he put a death warrant out on the whole family because it would have been very natural for him to believe that David went to the family for protection. It would have been very easy, I mean, because that's where everybody would have went. Everybody would have went to family because family, like I said, was morally obligated to protect their to, to protect family. So if Saul's after after David, he's really after David's whole family. He's not just looking to destroy Saul. He's looking to wipe out the family. So the family needs a place to go. And as they see that Saul is doubling down on this, that he's not backing backing off like he did before, they know that they need a place to go. So they pack up everything and go find David. We read this this little phrase. You know, when, when his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they all went down to him there. This is one of those time phrases. This did not happen overnight. This does not happen, you know, uh, like, oh, I got the phone call. Everybody in the car. We got to run. The, you know, the FBI are on the way. No, 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 no. He, he, this took, this probably took weeks. It took weeks for the information to, to really be, uh, I want to say solidified. Is that the word I want? It took weeks for them to be confirmed. That's the real word I wanted. It, they confirmed that David was a, had a murder, you know, a death warrant out on him. They confirmed that Saul was going to also take out the family. They confirmed that it was best for them to look for another place to go. And they they confirmed through their own network of servants and and uh, attendants and trade you know tradesmen that they were friends with they confirmed that david was at the at the cave of adelum so again for them to confirm all that it means that david david did get recognized david did have a few conversations david stopped isolating and started to interact with people and they all knew oh yeah this is this is david this is the commander david this is the killer of goliath and i am guessing I mean, in my in my little movie of of my head, you know, I picture him there at the cave. I picture probably one of those innocent boys of one of the nomads or shepherds that was hanging out, coming over and staring at David, uh, and David smiling at him because David recognizes him as a shepherd boy, and David knows what that's like. I I, I do the same thing. I do the same thing. You just look at it, at a little kid, and you just it doesn't matter how how you feel. Their their innocence. And their curiosity and the light in their eyes, it just, it just awakens your heart. It awakens your soul. You stop feeling sorry for yourself, and you start to see hope. And I think David did again. I don't think David moped around in the cave for, for months. I think he just, he just 
needed time to breathe and he couldn't understand how he got there. And he probably did wonder how his family was doing because he would have known that Saul was after them as well. And he probably wondered how Jonathan was doing. Because I'm guessing in the in the in the field where they were talking after uh, after the banquet, I'm sure Jonathan told him that yeah, Dad tried to kill me last night. So David's probably wondering, man, is Jonathan even alive? Did I did I sentence Jonathan to death by being friends with him, by confirming my covenant with him? Did I sentence him to death? Is he is he gonna survive? And I'm I'm guessing after a few weeks, he probably was able to ask some people who were going to the capital city to find out if Jonathan was still around. And I'm sure they did find out that he was still alive. He was still a prince that he, you know, was in the courts or whatever. So, uh, you know, David's starting to come out of his shell. And I picture him there in the cave and a little kid looking at him and wanting to talk to him. And what he really wants wants to do is touch that sword. So David probably pulled the, you know, the sword out from behind the rock where it was staying and he, you know, he hands it to him and, oh man, the kid can hardly pick it up off the ground. David chuckles at it and he picks it up and he kind of swings it around a little bit, pulls it out of its, out of its sheath. Oh, it had to be, it had to be fun, right? And then people were like, wow, this really is David. And when they found out it was David, they wanted David to tell them what to do because David David naturally drew people to him because of the hope that he had, because of the leadership skill he had, because of the way that he thought of others and was relational. David was a leader that nomads and displaced people would have felt safe with. They would have they would have thought this guy can help us. This guy can give us answers. This guy can protect us. So the family kind of gets that that information out and they pack up their whole lives and head out to the caves. This cave network is big and they know this. They know that there'll be room for them. And, and so they become refugees. The whole family becomes refugees and they head out to see David. Now this, this family reunion could not have been a whole lot of fun because they lost everything because of David. This is a kid that, that as far as they, you know, the, the brothers were concerned for years, he wasn't one of their brothers. And now because of him, they got nothing. And I imagine some of them on their, on their walk out, they're not, they're, they're, yeah, they're not happy. They wish that it wasn't true. They, they wish that, that uh, you know, that he had never been discovered. They wish Samuel had never come to town. But there they are, trucking out into the caves. They they show up. Can you imagine, David? He's hanging out in the caves. He probably has a couple dozen friends, some families that are that are you know that were already there, but now are are taking care of him. He's got a pretty nice little setup in this in his little cave. Uh, they've you know loaned him some things. This is one thing that I know about about nomads and 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 in essence homeless people, refugees. Many of them will share everything because they don't they don't have anything but they'll share what they got it's it's kind of a it's kind of a beautiful at times a very beautiful picture of how selfish rich people often get because because they have so much they won't they won't share it but when you don't have much you usually don't mind sharing it because you figure well i didn't you know i can do without i can do without 
So I picture David probably has a, you know, he probably has a nice little bed going now. Um, he's figured out a way to help, um, I don't know, take care of things. And people feed him. And he's getting along pretty well. And then, you know, there's a large group coming down the road. Cloud of dust. And David David kind of recognizes uh, them. Maybe he recognizes the color of the of the clothing maybe he recognizes the you know the the blankets that are on the mules that they're riding i don't know but he he sees that it's family and and oh man i can't imagine they show up and what do they want well it's his fault that they're there so they want him to take care of them so he takes care of his mother and he takes care of his father and he and he helps them get settled into an you know an a nice section of the cave. <laughs> and all seven brothers. Can you imagine the number of people that this that this entails? The brothers, the wives, their children. They brought, you know, I'm sure uh, some some livestock, goats, sheep, uh, mules. All these things need housing. All these things need food. All these things need fuel for their fires. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's no small task. It's no small thing when they all arrive and they're not happy about being there. And then basically because of the atmosphere that Saul is creating within the country, they, the, 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 the people without resources, right? The people that were in distress, people that were in debt, the discontented, in other words, those that, that politically were not in favor of Saul, who were on Saul's bad list. <laughs> Saul is now the opposite of, of, of Santa Claus. They all need a place to go. And they all go to David because in their minds, he's, he's, the, uh, he's the anti-Saul. He's the one who can... Take over Saul. If they have anything, if they have any resources, they're going to bring it to somebody who is going to go against the one who's causing them to be in distress. There's the nuances of the Hebrew here also basically talk about um, ex-cons, people that had been in jail, people that that were already had murder warrants out on them, already owed back taxes. Already were were on a you know they they were not this these this group of people were were refugees they had very little if any resources but they had each other and they had something in common they all hated Saul or or were all hated by Saul they were all on the on the government's short list of either jail or death and now they had a leader. Now they had somebody who had fallen from power, but in their minds, he had connections. He had connections in the military, he had connections in, in uh, you know, over the borders. He had connections in the trade market. He had connections in the in every village, in every city, in all of the nation. They, everybody owed David some sort of allegiance. So, yeah, David was their leader. And out of this this group of distressed people, Discontent, discontented people, indebted people, 
David starts to put together a clan, a new tribe, a united group of people. I mean, David is David went from being alone, right, from from literally acting like a lunatic in order to save his own life, running from the from the city of Gath into the wilderness. And in essence, at first, we'll say he started out alone in the caves, and then slowly he becomes the new leader of a of a large group of people. He becomes the reason, like he has to provide protection. So what's he do? He starts to put together a guard, an armed, uh, 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 not a, well, they were armed guards, but an elite guard that would protect those that were coming to the caves. Because now it's not just a small group of nomads. Now we're talking, we're, we're starting to push hundreds of people into these caves. And they all expect to be protected because David's their leader. And they all expect provisions. So David, being who he is, understanding what leadership is like, he starts to put together groups of people who are going to combine the herds, who are going to logistically uh, ration out or 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 even out the the food supplies, so that so that people, everybody eats, but we all don't just destroy what we have. He understands what it's like to uh, you know to logistically take care of thousands of troops so he under he does know what it takes to keep take care of thousands of people because by the time we're done with this little passage and i know i'm stretching out this passage significantly by the time we're done with this passage we're talking at least a thousand people probably more because he by the time we're done he has a group of 400 well, that are trained military men and they're called the mighty men of david and they literally stick with him for the for the rest of his life. So in in the training of these people uh, of these of this military, this 400 400 man military, he he is their leader, right? He's their trainer, he teaches them technique. Some of them probably came from the military and they already know some of these things and they become they become commanders of groups of, you know, 10 or 20 or 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 50 people. And David checks in on them. So all of that is going on so that the caves are protected. And they, 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 then, of course, they have the livestock, and they, he keeps track of all the food that's going on. So David just continually takes on more and more of a leadership role. So he's got, he's got people in charge of the livestock, people in charge of the military, and then everybody also, right, they want guidance. David is their leader, but he's also their their sage. They want answers. They want justice. They 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 need help with disputes. There's people that are trying to take over sections of the cave that somebody else thinks is theirs. David has to figure that out. He has to logistically help people space themselves out, have their own little area, but also get along with one another and be united in what they do. And he has to give them that kind of guidance. He he probably has has daily conversations, much like uh, elders at a, at a city gate. David holds court, so to speak, with the leaders of various clans that have showed up. Not everybody that showed up showed up alone and on their own. Some did. 
widows, orphans, uh, yeah, orphans that are older. I, I don't know what the name would be, but, you know, um, single adults. But then he also had large families and clans and tribes that would that would show up. Like I said, we're talking we're talking over a thousand people by the time he's done here. And they all want David to to be the one who gives them answers. He's their leader. And I think in all of that, he also was their spiritual leader. And he'd take out the lair. And I'm sure there were musicians in the group, and they would join them. There was probably, uh, you know, uh, there had to be percussions because I absolutely love percussions. So I'm sure there were a few thumpers of some sort, and there were uh, players of all sorts, and tambourines and flutes and and lairs. And David would teach them songs that he had that he had sung in the palace, songs that he had sung in the fields. Some of them they knew. Some of them were just were just traditional uh, uh, celebration songs from the Hebrew festivals that they would have, and they would listen. So David was everything to these people: military leader, food supply. He was protection. He was he was their priest. He was their song leader. He was their sage. And in all all of that, there was also he also had spiritual leaders. He there was a prophet there named Gad, who we uh, will see later in the in this passage. But I'm sure that there was there was religious um, ceremonies, teachings that would go on. He made sure that spiritually people were fed. David is is really like his his intuitive leadership nature. I think is seen. In this cave, in this cave time. Now, all total, David probably stayed there between five to seven years. It wasn't a quick thing. the The nation, the nation continues to be led by Saul. Saul thinks David's gone. He doesn't care. He he you know he goes after his family. Nobody's there. They all left. He he doesn't really you know he's he's got his own issues. Saul's distracted at this point. And David's David just keeps gathering people and training a military, and they get good. But he's looking around, probably after, like I said, between five to seven years, and he and it sees his his you know his mother and father are are old, they are weary, they're living in a cave, and he's like, you know what, I need to take I need to take better care of them. This is my responsibility. I mean, I'm not the oldest son, but the oldest son at this point, he doesn't have anything either. David's in charge of everything. David has all the reason, like everything people are bringing in, in essence, are, are is at David's disposal to figure out what to do with. All of his decisions as to what to do with what people bring, like that, he's in charge. So he takes responsibility for his family, which is, which is interesting. And he, and he heads off uh, to Moab. Now Saul, like I said, is is he knows Saul is bitter. Basically, Saul is dealing with bitterness and is openly opposed to David and his family. There's still a death warrant out for everybody. He looks around. David sees his mother and father, and he's like, "Listen, if I ever have to run, if we ever come under attack." I can't take care of it. Like, I, I've got so many other things to do. 
And if anything happened to my mother and father, I'd feel horrible. It's my responsibility. So the best protection, the best thing I can do for them is get them out of the caves. Now, I don't know if he talked to his brothers about this. I don't know if they cared. But he decides to take his parents to Moab for asylum. He didn't want his parents wandering the wilderness. Like if 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 Saul comes and because uh, I'm sure David's like at this point, you got over a thousand people hanging out. You're the leader like Saul is. It's not going to take a whole lot of anything for Saul to figure out where they are and to come get them. And he's like, I need to take care of my mom and dad. Now, Moab is 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 uh, they don't get along with uh, with Saul. They they just. They're just basic bitter enemies and have been for years. So when David reaches out to the king of Moab, I'm sure he's thinking, this is awesome. This is awesome. He's he's heard the rumors or he finds out because David's on his way with his family. He's like, okay, David is clearly opposed to Saul. David has a small military that he's put together of 400 men, which isn't necessarily small given the given the types of battles that that David would have had with with Saul. This this was a pretty good group of guys. And technically, they're family. Uh Jesse, his great-grandfather Boaz married Ruth, the Moabite, and in marrying Boaz, Ruth, you know, became a rich, influential, famous woman in Israel. And the king of Moab is is can also basically take on this whole thing of like, well, this is family. I'm doing this because I'm connected. We're we're almost family. Like we're we may not the king may not have been a blood relative of David, but but the king could could easily say, yes, I can give your family uh, refuge because you have blood relatives in our country. And so he provides asylum for David's mom and dad. Now, it, it looks like David's brothers, some of David's brothers stuck with him. Some of them might have even been in the military or leaders in the military. I'm not saying that they got along with David uh, right away, but I think over time they recognized that David uh, was a good leader. And that David clearly uh, was taking care of everybody. And out of loyalty to his provision and to his leadership, they stepped in uh, to help out. So that's uh, that's a good sign. That's a that's a sign of a of a humble leader. He didn't hold it against his brothers that they didn't that they didn't like him. He didn't hold it against the family that they didn't support him for all those years. He allowed them the opportunity to be uh, to live under his protection and and live with his provision and they recognized that he never had any retribution against them when he was in a position of leadership and influence where he could have. He did his best to protect the family and he always did. And looking back they probably they whether they felt guilty or not I have no idea but I would imagine at some level they did. And they realized, you know what, we we owe him. We owe him our lives. He could have easily wiped us out. He could have easily destroyed our family. He could have easily made us refugees years ago. And here we are, refugees because of him, but he's also providing protection. He provides 
food. He provides guidance. He leads us in worship. Like, I just think a lot of his brothers stepped up over time, and it's they had some sort of positive relationship with David, even if it wasn't necessarily a close, intimate one. And that's the way families often are, right? You, many times, uh, you know, within families, you want something closer than what you have, but you you can't. There's just other nuances of of history. There's other nuances of experiences that 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 keep the closest that you would love from ever really occurring. Or maybe there's like literal literal things in which there's just boundaries you have to keep in order to keep yourself safe and protected. But you can you can find a level of relationship where everybody's safe. And I think that for some of the brothers uh, of David, they had found that. They found a place where they felt safe enough in connection with David. And David was a humble enough leader that he did not hold the past against his brothers. And they they allowed uh, for connection. So they bring his the parents and they leave them in Moab. And as far as we know, David never saw his mom and dad again. Now that's that's a that's a sad end. We don't know uh again like as far as we know he didn't even show up to their funerals. So there was there was some tension I think that still existed in the relationship between him and his father. Again, David was humble. David didn't allow pride to get in the way of taking care of and taking responsibility for his mom and dad, even though he was not the oldest son, he provided that stuff for you know the, the, all those things for his for his mom and dad, and he and he took responsibility to take them to uh, to Moab, but he probably never saw them again. And then the prophet, after all that, and again, all this these verses take so much time, all that travel, all the negotiation, all the interactions, all the way back to the caves. And there's a prophet there, Gad, who probably was, like I said, one of the spiritual leaders of this group of a thousand plus people. He brings David some advice and he says, we we should not stay in this stronghold. We, we need to get out of the caves. We need to go to your homeland, Judah, your home tribe, not necessarily back to your village, but we need to go to a place where we we're surrounded by friends like this cave is is great. Uh, it's easily defendable, but we are also pretty easy to get get to. Like everybody knows we're here, and uh, we're surrounded by enemy territory. Not a, like we we need to get out. And David took that spiritual advice to heart, and he didn't stay in the stronghold. He left, and he went to the forest of Hareth. Now, again, when I read that, I read massive amounts of preparation because you don't just say, you know, send out a message, right? You don't just uh, send out an email to, to a group email, right? To, to all the elder, to all the leaders of everybody that's living in the caves. We leave tomorrow. No, every, all the packing that occurred, all of the gathering. And again, the logistics of putting all this together, the leaders of the 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 not produce Bob, not produce the leaders, those who oversaw all of the livestock. Thank you very much. All the livestock. That's, a, that's the engineer Bob talking in my ear. Uh, 
uh, you know, how we're going to move them, what's best for them, uh, all the carts that had to be brought out and loaded and shared because not everybody had a cart, and then the military aspect of it he had to have protection for everybody he had to get all of his uh, military leaders on who was in front who was along the sides who was in the back how long of a distance between the back to the front so that everybody was safe because they're they're moving and when you're moving you're in the open you're going to be um exposed and potentially Saul could attack David David lived with this sub-program running in the back of his head at all times. Saul wants me dead. So that was a serious thing. That was a serious stressor. So he knew he was going to be exposed. He knew everybody would be exposed. Everybody was going to be threatened because if David's in the middle of all this, Saul's not, you know, Saul's not going to care. Saul is so bitter. Saul is so angry. We'll get into that in the next podcast. But he moves them all to a forest, and the forest that uh, at uh, what it was a it was um, it was on the edge of a mountain chain. Surround, you know, it's it's got all kinds of low bushes. It was in in his main tribal world of Judah. Um, it was it was probably about a three to four mile uh, uh, trip that these a thousand plus people had to make. But the difference would be in a forest, a large military group riding on donkeys, horses, whatever, would not be able to just mount an attack against you. They couldn't just surround you and come at you. You're at the base of a mountain uh, range. You've got, you've got tons of trees all around you. You've got people scattered all along the hillside, mountainside, uh, in the thickets wherever they want to camp. And so to just just show up with a couple thousand men and attack them would have been really difficult because no one would have, right? It's just you can't just ride in as a, as a massive amount of people. You have, to, you have to disperse yourself. It's actually a good uh, military position for David to be in with this many people. When it was smaller numbers of people, the caves worked, but it was, they were too exposed. And so the prophet brings this wisdom to David. David agrees with the wisdom, and they head off down to the forest. But David, again, is, is a humble leader, taking advice, taking responsibility, and taking on roles that he didn't necessarily sign up for when he walked into the caves. This five- to seven-year period of David that, that we covered is, is a huge growth cycle in David's leadership. Because he's not le- he's not leading under someone else's umbrella. He's leading on his own, and he's seeing the results of it: the loyalty, the community, the connection that's occurring. You look at the people that are under your leadership. If you have a role of leadership, you look at at the people that are there, and you watch: are they, you know, what what do they look like? How do they interact when when I'm not in the room? When I'm not telling them what to do? And we just see that that David created a strong sense of family. These thousands of people that are a thousand plus people that were with David, they didn't have any obligation to go with David. Remember, they were their own distressed, indebted, discontented people. They they had it's not that they had nowhere else to go. They could have just said, David, you're more than welcome to run from Saul. Like you're you're the one in trouble. We're not. You took care of your family there in Moab. Like 
have a good day. Like we like the caves, you know, I'm going to take my, take back my four goats and we're all staying here. But with the type of leadership that David gave, the type of, of connection and community, community that David developed under his leadership, all these people followed David to the forest. This four mile journey, which again was no small journey with the, with a thousand people. They all uprooted themselves again and followed David because they wanted to be under his leadership. That speaks a lot about the intuitive nature of David's leadership, about the heart of David when he, when he interacted with the people that, that came to him. Because they could have all just stayed at the caves, or, or many of them could have, but they didn't. They loved David, and David was learning how to be a real leader of multiple facets of life. So God's goodness is showing up here in that God's training him to be king. His goodness is showing up here in in that he's given David a community of people that are loyal to him and love him. God's goodness is showing up here in that there's some connection between between David and his family that's being restored or at least or at least starting to grow between him and his brothers. He's giving David friends. He's giving David uh, a place in which he can feel connected and loved. It's God's goodness can show up anywhere. God never abandoned David. He can't abandon anyone. And I think David is learning to, to live in that, but with completely different circumstances than ever before. All right. Well, have a good day. We're going to, man, we're going to, we're going to Saul. Uh, we're going to get into Saul, but we'll do that. We'll do that uh, next time. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Epic Narrative. If you have questions for Bob or would like to reach out for booking, please email us at thebobswitzer at gmail.com or visit thebobswitzer.com. If you haven't already, please subscribe to The Epic Narrative Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. See you next week for another chapter in our story on The Epic Narrative.